The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A warm welcome to Squawkbox this Monday morning with Jeff Cutmore, Karen Cho, myself, Steve Sedgwick. And these are your headlines. Going the extra mile, Britain and the EU agree to keep negotiating over a Brexit trade deal, taking talks down to the wire as key differences remain. Despite the fact that deadlines have been missed over and over, we both think that it is responsible at this point in time to go the extra mile. We remain willing to talk, we'll continue to do so, but in the meantime, let's get ready for the WTO option. And that's what I told the cabinet. Well, as you heard, Boris Johnson downbeat, but Sterling is bouncing on the news. But the UK Prime Minister warning businesses to be ready for a no-deal Brexit, while supermarkets are reportedly told to stockpile food over shortage fears. Meanwhile, Germany goes into full lockdown with Chancellor Merkel imposing stricter restrictions from Wednesday, saying existing measures have failed to reduce the infection rate. America begins its vaccine rollout with the first shots expected as early as today, with distribution sites across the country receiving their first batches of the vaccine. AstraZeneca puts $39 billion on the table for rare diseases firm Alexium in the largest healthcare deal of 2020. This whole Brexit process has been punctuated by phrases, hasn't it, that were meant to denote some political meaning or gravitas. We were going to have, do you remember, an oven-ready deal. That oven-ready deal has now turned into going the extra mile. So the UK and the EU are now talking about this extra mile in negotiations around the Brexit trade talks. Sterling will has had a little bit of a relief bounce here, as you can see. We saw selling into the weekend as people got concerned about the very negative commentary we were getting from politicians on both sides. That drove us down, as you can see. But as we've come into the trading session today, the sentiment appears to be lifted by this idea that neither side actually wants to go to the mat as the side that failed to get the compromise deal and the arguments, you would have heard them yourself over the weekend, we're 75% there, we're 80% there it just needs a little extra push to get us over the line on these three key issues, that has persuaded those in the FX market that there is sufficient will now to get some kind of agreement that we should be perhaps buying back into the pound. The Commission President Ursula von der Leyen and British Prime Minister Boris Johnson held a phone call on Sunday. The UK will revert to WTO trading rules if a deal isn't struck before December 31st, according to Boris Johnson, while parliaments on both sides, of course, will need some time to ratify 
any deal. Well, let's have a look at the uh, opening calls. I mean, as far as the markets are concerned at the moment, it is, I would say, perhaps not so much about Brexit, but a certain amount of cautious optimism about a number of stories at the moment, where we're going on the vaccine, where we're going on the US stimulus negotiations, and then ultimately the fact that we are in this holding pattern on the talks at this point, we are basically flat on the call for the FTSE with an indicated positive start to the trading session across the other key European markets. But you will have seen him already. Steve is out doing service this morning on the Brexit story yet again. Steve, they say they're going to go the extra mile. What does that actually mean? Well, the fact they're talking about miles rather than kilometres, perhaps that's a nod to uh, British sovereignty, Jeff, and independence as well. But quite a short, I just want to go back one stage while I remember it as well and looking at those markets, because I spent the entire weekend looking at the markets and, of course, looking for news on this story as well. And before the announcement yesterday, just before midday, when it looked very, very gloomy and the Prime Minister had been stunningly gloomy about the prospects of talks as well, would you believe the FTSE hasn't actually moved uh, more than 10 points in either direction all weekend? Now, I know it's very thin trading from the likes of IG and others, but at least there is something to trade on over the weekend. And we weren't moving on the prospect of no deal, and we're barely moving on the prospect of elongated talks as well. So I think that's very good. So uh, the word that comes to mind is phlegmaticism or phlegmatic uh, from the markets as well. Okay, so what happened over the weekend? Well, it started off very badly, didn't it? And uh, in fact, on Friday, Karen and I were talking, and I remember the producer asking me to do the Oliver Dowden flashes. He's the culture, media, and sports secretary here in the UK. And he said, definitely no extension of talks. Sunday is the absolute limit. And I remember actually doing those um, flashes on Scorebox and actually saying to our audience as well, well, that's Cod's wallet for a start as well, isn't it? Because we know that if the talks are going somewhere, of course they will be extended. And that's kind of what's happened as well. Uh, and, and very interesting, the Prime Minister rebuffed uh, on his claims of trying to talk to Berlin directly or talk to Monsieur Macron directly at the Elysee Palace as well. Uh, and the EU saying, no, you'll talk to Monsieur Barnier. We are 27, we are one, we are joined in one. But what is very interesting is the news flow from Berlimont and all the reporters there uh, and the reporters in the Westminster bubble as well, they don't seem to be getting a handle on what's actually going on because behind the scenes, despite the doom and gloom on Saturday and right up to just before midday in that uh, von der Leyen and uh, joint press um, statement with the Prime Minister as well, the doom and gloom was, yes, there potentially could be a walk away as well. But that doesn't say that there aren't enormous problems still. Now, we'll talk about what we think's happening in a moment, but let's first listen to the UK Prime Minister. What I'll say is that I think that uh, the UK should continue to try. And I think that's what the people of this country would want me to do. We're going to continue to try. And we're going to try with all our hearts and uh, we'll be as creative as we possibly can. But what we can't do is compromise on that fundamental uh, nature of what Brexit is all about, which is us being able to control our laws, control our fisheries. It's very, very simple. I think our friends get it. And, uh, you know, we, we, we remain willing to talk. We'll continue to do so. But in the meantime, let's get ready for the WTO option. And that's what I told the cabinet. 
Interesting line there from the Prime Minister. I think our friends get it on fisheries as well. Well, if these are our friends, why are we sending out 80-metre gunboats potentially to protect our fish? Just a question there, uh, because, of course, Dominic Raab, the UK Foreign Secretary, talking very robustly and bellicosely, perhaps, about zero access for the French and others, it has to be said, uh, after 31st of December as well. And talking about these river-class ships, four, maybe eight gunboats going out. Uh, and as we know, Jeff, the, the Icelandic Cod Wars from 58 to 76, how did that go for the British fishing industry? as well. Not too well as well. But we can talk about the other buzzword of the weekend, which is, of course, mechanism. Uh, And that appears to be where the movement is, trying to find a mechanism forward for governance and establishing level playing fields, which aren't seen as too uh, one-sided against the British uh, and uh, not only for the status quo for what the Europeans want, but, of course, with this this dreaded ratchet clause as well, which has got the Brexiteers frothing at the mouth, Jeff. Steve, uh, stay with us. Um, Let's bring in Sylvia. Let's get an angle on the Brussels view. Uh, Sylvia joins us this morning from Lisbon. Uh, What's the assessment um, among the European politicians on this, Sylvia? Obviously, there's been an agreement on both sides that the talks must continue at this stage. Um, Do the European negotiators feel that they are making any progress? Well, actually, and I was in Brussels last week, and I've been speaking with different European officials over the weekend, and their feeling is very much that everything depends on the Prime Minister Boris Johnson, on what sort of relationship the UK is after with the EU. Because one thing is for sure, it doesn't seem at all that the EU will be at any point ready to compromise to undermine the European single market. That's perhaps the biggest achievement that the EU has done in in its history, and they're not ready to undermine any sort of aspects when it comes to that. And so from a European perspective, it's all about what sort of rules and standards the UK is willing to follow so then they can perhaps find a common ground and come up with a trade deal. When it comes to that phone call that happened yesterday between the two leaders, the Prime Minister and Ursula von der Leyen, the head of the European Commission. One EU official told me that their conversation lasted for less than 30 minutes, so not a very long one this time, given that on Wednesday last week they talked for uh, hours. Um, and then there were some rumors yesterday as well that the, there was only one major sticking point at this stage. And actually I have to say that having spoken with two different officials from the European Commission side, um, that's not true. Essentially the, the three main differences are still on the table, so it's not just about competition rules, it's also about fisheries and governance. So there's still quite a lot of work to be done in order to bridge these three outstanding matters. But there seems to be some sort of political willingness at this stage to come up with a trade deal. And none of the sides seems, at least at this stage, willing to leave the negotiating table. So perhaps in the coming days we might see a breakthrough. One thing is for sure, though, is that they did not give us a new deadline yesterday. And so what we're working with at this stage is the 31st of December. So it's by that day they need to come up with a trade deal and get it ratified in the UK and the European Parliament, and one EU lawmaker told me last week that there's no time for translating that potential deal already, and that could be an issue for some European lawmakers who prefer to read the documents in their mother tongue, so then they can actually approve it. So let's see what will happen in the coming days, Jeff. I'm afraid that when it comes to Brexit, we still have plenty of uncertainty on the table. Sylvia, 
I'll pick up there. Thank you very much indeed for that. Well, let's get to a man who's uh, been part of this whole process. Philip Rycroft is the former permanent secretary on the Department for Exiting the uh, EU. Uh, and, and Philip, very interesting to speak to you today. So thank you for joining us so early. Look, you say a deal was in reach and a failure to do so would be a failure of statecraft as well. Isn't it a failure of statecraft to offer to send out gunboats to protect our fish? I'm quite uh, appalled almost by those comments from the, uh, the foreign secretary and others in government. It's a bit strange to be talking about sending out uh, the Navy to protect fish. They say not least because actually the uh, fisheries in uh, English waters, contrast Scotland, have always been looked after by the Royal Navy. So uh, in, in some respects, there's nothing new there. Fisheries protection is done by the Navy. But the way it was briefed out uh, was clearly quite bellicose in a, in a slightly surprising way if you're trying to get a deal sorted out. A deal where the big problem is lack of trust. And to be start briefing that sort of thing seems a bit maladroit at best. Yeah, it was more Lord Salisbury in circa 1890 than uh, uh, 2020. But let's move on as well. Look, I, there's some very good comments, I thought, from Simon Coveney last week, who uh, was echoing what the Taoiseach was saying about, let's just get this done. We're almost there. Uh, and saying that too many of the parties look like they're worried about choreography rather than the substance of a deal. Would you echo that? Yes, to an, to an extent. I think the, when people say that 95, 97% of this is done, what they're talking about is all the other dimensions um, of, of this uh, relationship just on trade, but it's also internal security, energy markets, all sorts of other things. But the big problem uh, still remains these points of principle. And that's why this is proving so difficult. It's not just a question of tidying up a few details. They're still talking about a big gap on points of principle. And so the, the real question today, in my mind, is have they found something there that to get, a, get around these big issues of principle? Or is it just that neither side wants to be the one that walks away from the table? That seems to me uh, the big issue today. And we maybe won't know the answer to that for a day or two yet. Philip, a lot of mixed messages over the weekend about just how ready Britain is for Brexit with or without a deal and uh, suggestions the government may be fast-tracking some measures to get perishable food to the UK. Also concerns about some of the queues that may be banking up with some of the lorries. What do you make of the readiness here and will there be supply shortages? Well, it, the readiness question, again, is, is a fascinating one. The Prime Minister is saying to businesses, oh, you must now get ready for no deal. We're like a couple of weeks away. Um, people have been working on this, including a lot of businesses, um, for a very, very long time now. Um, we've always known, we've known for, for weeks that the a lot of businesses haven't completed their preparations. There's no way that they can do that now in the time remaining. But that applies in a deal or a no-deal context. So there's always been this risk of short-term disruption uh, at the border come the 1st of January, because one way or the other, there is a really huge change uh, in our trading relationship with the EU, all sorts of new processes kicking in on the border uh, at the beginning of next year. So that, that risk of short-term disruption has always been there. And what you're hearing from the government now is aspects of the planning that have been in the works for uh, actually a couple of years now, because we were thinking about this uh, in the run-up to March 2019. Now, one hopes that all the government plans are a lot more advanced than they were then, uh, but this is now coming to the crunch point. 
Philip, as we talk about short-term disruption, then this is clearly not a normal year and nobody wants to panic anyone. But what type of scenario are we looking at when you've got people already in their homes hoarding food, concerned about what's playing out with the pandemic? You add on top of that any short-term disruption to products. Could it be a massive problem that we're, we're witnessing unfold here? You've seen some of the, the leaks uh, uh, last week about the the government's contingency planning. The Prime Minister set up a new unit in number 10 to cope with this in case there is a sort of conflation of, of different issues, uh, pandemic, Brexit, uh, flooding and, and all the rest of it. Uh, the government obviously has thought through this and thought very hard about how to manage all of this. Um, but the National Audit Office saying the other day that um, there's a risk that the flow of traffic um, uh, across the Calais-Dover uh, 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 crossing could drop um, to about 60% of normal flows. So the, the risk is there that there will be short-term disruption and um, everybody I think recognises that that would have an impact on the supply of some uh, some foods to the shops. The, the talk was around particularly fresh vegetables. Um, so uh, this will unfold uh, as the days go by. I think the uh, it comes back to the point in terms of, of getting this deal sorted out. Uh, if there is a deal, of course, then there will be more goodwill uh, on both sides to just put in place the easements that might help that traffic um, over the course of the first few weeks of next year. Philip, can I ask you about the, the deal as it's structured at the moment? Because it seems there's a lot of um, detail missing for the general public. We constantly hear about these three specific areas of disagreement, but getting into the detail is much harder at this stage. You are, you are writing in Prospect magazine that you find this a very unambitious deal at this point. Why do you say that? And what would be the consequences of a deal like this in terms of maybe non-tariff barriers to ongoing trade? Yeah, well, we've again we've known about this for for a, for a long time now. We don't know all the detail that's in the in uh, that would be in the deal, but the headlines are clear. The big ambition is zero tariff, zero quota, and that would be an unprecedented deal for the EU to strike. Um, but behind that. Uh, there is an acceptance that you would have all of the paraphernalia of a trade border. So that's customs declarations, security declarations, regulatory checks, rules of origin requirements. There's all a lot of jargon for many folk. But what that means is a lot of paperwork for businesses um, if they're going to trade across that border. And the same applies to services. Obviously, services, you don't have tariffs applying to services or anything like that, but you do have regulation. And the single market, it's not perfect in services, uh, but it is probably the most developed uh, single market for services um, anywhere in the world um, between different countries. And what would happen on services is that the uh, increasing the rules the so-called home state rules would apply uh, to the provision of services by British suppliers in different member states. So if you're a lawyer providing services in France, you'd have to abide by the French rules and so on. So this is a very big change to our trading relationship and will have a short-term impact, but it will also have a long-term impact uh, on uh, the UK economy. And let me ask you, if, if a deal um, isn't done, do you think that has consequences for the prospects of a trade deal with the United States? 
difficult to say at this stage, um, but clearly uh, President Biden is going to take his time. He's not going to uh, launch himself at a, a UK-US uh, deal as a sort of top priority. Um, my guess is that it, it will make other partners just look a little bit more carefully at the UK, how it negotiates, what its objectives are. Again, getting a deal, uh, in contrast, would send a positive signal. You don't forget, one of the things for the US and for other countries is that they need to know what sort of relationship with the, the, the UK will have with the EU when they think about what sort of relationship they want with us. No deal, I think they would see as, uh, as not a sustainable position. So they may be saying, well, uh, it's no deal now, but they'll have to get back round the table at some point. So let's just wait to see what happens and get it sorted out. So I think the chances are that it, it certainly won't speed up other trade deals. Risk is it slows them down. Good to see you this morning. Thank you for joining us early. My Philip pleasure. Rycroft, former permanent secretary for the Department for Exiting the European Union. Still to come on the programme this morning, we're back to COVID. Germany imposing a full lockdown over the holiday period. We're going to take a look at the new restrictions and what that'll mean for the German economy when we come back. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. You're watching Scorkbox. Well, we have some comments just crossing the wires from Germany and this uh, from the economy minister who says coronavirus is out of control in Germany. And going on to say if coronavirus spread continues in a similar way, hospitals will be overwhelmed. So uh, fairly stunning comments as the country also moves towards further restrictions. Let's get out to Annette for more. Annette, there had been hopes with the lockdown light in Germany, indeed very similar restrictions elsewhere, that we could save this festive period. But what came out of Germany over the weekend seemed to suggest that there are going to be more restrictions over this uh, key holiday period. Yeah, essentially they are saying that the lockdown light didn't work. And if you look at the numbers, that's obviously true because um, what we have reached in Germany is um, a certain deceleration of the pace of new infection, but still it is still growing. And as um, Peter Altmaier, the economy minister, and also the Bavarian prime minister, Söder is pointing out that if we don't do anything more, we're going to get a situation close to the one in Italy early this year, uh, very soon, because hospitals are starting to be overwhelmed also in Germany in certain regions. There's still enough capacity, but if we don't do anything, then we are going to reach that point. So take a listen of what Angela Merkel said yesterday um, after she convened with um, the so-called Corona cabinet here in Germany. 
Wir bleiben bei den persönlichen Kontakten dabei. We maintain that friends, relatives and acquaintances can meet with a maximum of five people and two households and there is an exception only over the Christmas holidays from 24 to 26 December, but not on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. This exception means that you can invite four more people beyond your own household. So essentially, non-essential shops are going to close, schools are going to close by Wednesday until the 10th of January, also kindergartens. So essentially, what the government wants to do is to bring the social life to a halt. And um, what they are also urging that companies are going either into holiday or going into home office so that also their people are not going to meet others who they are not related to. Um, the government has said that they're going to reconvene on January 5th to um, have a view on what happens after January 10th, whether we need an extension of the lockdown or whether we can ease once again. Um, on top of that, or to help the economy, the economy minister and the finance minister have upped the rescue funds for, the, for, for companies. And it's an estimated 11 billion euros, which costs. Will, which will be paid out to German companies per month um, until the um, the rescue system um, will fade out. So essentially, a lot of money will go to the companies in order to help them over that period. And in the meantime, we're going to have a severe lockdown here in Germany.